Welcome to Hive Mind, the weekly podcast about the latest and greatest in pop culture. I'm Eli McCann in studio today with Nick Morley and on phone today with the reason for the season, <laughs> Meg Walter. Hey. How do you like that intro? It made no sense. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Par for the course. Yeah. Meg, what you been watching? Oh, boy. Um, so I watched all of Marie Kondo. Uh-huh. Go on. And I, my drawers are now driving me crazy. <laughs> so have, have you actually started cleaning, though? Well, okay, so I did her method, like, a couple years ago because I read the book. And I've been, like, pretty good about keeping up with it since okay. then. But okay. my drawers have really fallen apart, so I just need to do that. Is the book better than the movie? Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> always. Uh, I've also been watching Nailed It. Okay. Have you guys watched Nelda on I, Netflix? I saw like one episode. It is, was pretty funny. Is that the Pinterest projects? Yeah. Okay. So, Nailda is they bring in like okay home bakers, I think, just kind of people who think they know how to make cookies. Uh huh. And they have them try and recreate these super elaborate fondant heavy cake masterpieces, mm. and they're always a disaster. Uh huh. And it's always hilarious. And the host, her name is Nicole Byer, and she's my favorite person in the whole world. She's so funny. And they bring on other comedians to judge. Uh-huh. And most of the time, the food's inedible. Okay. I saw a picture of, like, a Little Mermaid cake that somebody was supposed to make, and it was, it looked like a worm instead of the Little Mermaid <laughs> with, like, a worm with red hair. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, you would think the premise after, like, one or two episodes, you'd be like, okay, I get it. But they find the weirdest people to bring on uh -huh. who, like, sometimes get kind of defensive over what the disasters that they've made. Uh -huh. And so it's super funny. I've also started rewatching Shit's Creek. Ooh, from the beginning? Yeah. All right. What do you think on a second go around? Oh, my gosh. It's even better. It's such a good show. It's really funny. It just it, it doesn't tank in season four, but it does drop. And so I'm really hoping that this season that just started, I haven't started it yet, season five, I'm really hoping that they save it a little bit. Okay. So here's the thing about season four. We've talked about how much we hate the scene when he sings, when Patrick sings yes. David. But I have read multiple pieces from critics who talk about how that is like the highlight of the series. Yeah, but you know what? A Star is Born is also popular. Like that that's <laughs> meaningless to me. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um and I also watched both Fire Festival. Mm. Oh, I wanted to talk about this today. Did we all watch both of them? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Meg, you told me that you liked the Netflix one better. I'm curious to hear what Nick thinks too. What are your impressions of the two? Like, what value okay, do each so provide? I am, I am like, really glad that I watched both. Yeah. Because I feel like they both brought different details mm -hmm. about what actually happened. And I feel like the Hulu one was kind of more like reading maybe a BuzzFeed piece about what happened at the Fire Festival. It was entertaining. It explained a lot of things that needed explaining. But the Netflix one actually broke my heart. It, really? It, like, created human drama. It highlighted the, I never say it right, but Bahamian workers, like, a lot yeah. more and what actually happened to them and how terrible it was. Yeah. So I felt like the Netflix one was an actual well-done documentary, and the Hulu one, I was just like, oh, man, stupid millennials, mm -hmm. which is, 
there's a place for that, obviously. Yeah. Nick, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Meg's commentary, too. The Hulu one, it definitely tried to harp on the entertainment factor a lot more. But the Netflix one made me hate Billy McFarland and Ja Rule so much more. (laughs) And one of the thoughts that I had at first, like when I was watching it, oh, these poor people that are stranded. And I'm like, you guys are the dummies that spent thousands of dollars on this festival. Like, I'm starting to not feel bad for you. No. Yeah. So it was, I don't remember it being in the news that much. You don't? No. I do. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I do, too. It was like a week. It was all anybody was talking about. Huh. It was sort of the schadenfreude, like, everybody was happy that bad people had done bad things to bad people. And (laughs) the social media influencers that they interviewed for both of the documentaries were not helping themselves. Like, every time they came on screen, I was like, I'm glad you got screwed. Right? You just kind of suck. The worst people. So the thing that I liked about the Hulu one was I thought Hulu did a little bit of a better job explaining Billy McFarlane's background and how he got money and influence in the first place. And I didn't know any of that. And I also liked, even though I hate that they probably paid him for his interview, it was interesting that they interviewed him and questioned him about what had happened. But I thought the Netflix one did a way better job showing you what actually happened at the festival. And that was real entertaining and also heartbreaking. But it was funny. I saw like somebody tweeted both documentaries dropped at the same time or on the same week. And people were kind of trying to figure out like, well, which one should I watch? There are two yada, yada, yada. And I saw somebody tweeted and they were like, I don't have time for two documentaries about the same thing. And then it said 30 minutes later, give me as many fire festival documentaries (laughs) as possible. (laughs) And that's how I felt like both of them. I was like, please be 20 hours long. I never want this to end. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I never felt bad for the influencers. I still don't. No, no. Influencers are the worst. Blink-182, what were you thinking? Why Why would you spend money on that? But the people I feel bad for are the people in the Bahamas who were working their butts off to get this thing put together and were never paid. Mm -hmm. And the people actually working on the fire app. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those people, yeah, those people got screwed. The people who were working on the fire app at home and then they got dragged into the whole stupid festival thing and none of them wanted any part of that. In the Netflix documentary, there's this woman who I was she like the Asian woman who works on the fire app. She was my favorite part of that documentary because she sort of had this perspective the whole time where she was just like, what the hell? Like, why is this happening? And she was kind of the one who was a little bit trying to call him out, but sort of got buried under everything that was happening. And it was it was nice to get that perspective from people who were working with him in another capacity. And those people all just despise him now because he screwed everyone. But man, what an awful person. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Have you seen Ja Rule like lose his mind on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> so great. <laughs> anyway. Oh, God, guys. Uh, advertising. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Firefest docs. Good. Anything else, Meg? <laughs> no, I don't think so. What have you guys been watching? Nick? Well, True Detective started up again um, since our last podcast, I yeah. believe. So we're three episodes in. I really like Mahershala Ali. I wish he had another co-star that was a little bit better. I haven't seen the other stuff that the other guy's been in, so maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. But I feel like True Detective is one of those shows, and it's rare that the first season you hit your apex 
and then it's hard to build on that going forward. So oh. it's a slow burn, but I'm enjoying the season a lot more than season two, which was a total letdown with Rachel McAdams and Vince Vaughn. Had a lot of promise. But every time I watch a True Detective episode, I follow it up with Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just to kind of balance it out a little bit. So I was only watching one episode at a time, and I have a couple of friends that we send YouTube clips of Curb Your Enthusiasm back and forth, and I just... I've dived back into the show. I'm on season three now. So oh, it's, you say so you're not watching the new because no, I'm it not rebooted, up to right. Yeah, I'm not up to the new season yet. Okay, but okay. It's, I've seen one episode of the new season, and I think it was the first episode, and it was on a plane. So you know, maybe it wasn't that <laughs> funny actually, but I was like dying in my seat. I know Meg, you had you've said it before that you thought that curb your enthusiasm doesn't work now. Like it was funny in its time, but its humor doesn't carry over to. I, yeah, I don't. I feel like we all are kind of craving like nicer people in yeah. our meetings now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some sad curb related news. Marty Funkhauser. R.I.P. Marty Funkhauser. Who's, wait, who's that? So his name's not actually, his character's name is Marty Funkhauser. He's the one with the voice. The funk. Um, <gasps> he talks like this. How yeah. did he Mary? die? Yeah. The cancer. He was, wasn't he also in, um, what's it called? Arrested Development? Yeah, he was the guy, he played the person who was the eyes of the father while he was in prison. He walked around with the camera. Oh. Did, yeah. Are, are you remembering this? It's that guy, right? That's right. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Oh, that was sad. I thought he was the best character on the show. So, mm. anyway, what that, else have you been watching, Nick? That's it for me. So, Grace and Frankie Season 5 dropped on Netflix. I know you two have been waiting for that. <laughs> It's lasted five seasons. <laughs> Have you watched any of it? I watched the pilot. Yeah. I was so bored. Yeah. So I watch it. I watch it. 100% of the reason I watch it is because I'm amazed that Jane Fonda looks so good and I just want to watch her. Because I'm just like, I don't even pay attention to the show. Like, I talk through it. I make phone calls while it's on. I just kind of have it on quietly in the background. And then whenever she's on screen, I look at the TV until she's off screen, and then I go back to whatever I was doing. It's the weirdest, <laughs> I have a weird relationship with the show. Star power. Yeah, she's, wow. she's got that star power. Well, and the other thing, too, is half of the show is about their gay husbands, ex-husbands, and I don't care about them. Like, they're not interesting characters. I don't care about the actors. And so, I don't know. But... Once I start watching a show, I will watch it all the way to the end, no matter how terrible it is. I just never give up on something. So if hmm. Grace and Frankie goes another 20 seasons, I'll still be talking about it on Hive Mind 20 years from so 15 years from now. It took me a while to learn how to break up with a show. How'd you do it? Scandal got so bad. <laughs> Does it spark joy or not? <laughs> I had to really take a step back and look at my life and be like, here's the time. I'm spending with these people who I hate yeah. on a very real level. Yeah. Why am I letting these toxic people be part of my life? Yeah. And I haven't looked back. Doesn't it bother you that something's happening on that show that you invested time in and you don't know about it? Not really. I mean, because if it's big enough, it'll hit the internet. And I don't know. Like, I can't. I can't. This is why I have watched four seasons of Fuller House. Oh, <laughs> you are so brave. <laughs> because as a child, I watched the first episode of Full House, and I was like, gotta stick with this to the bitter end. Oh, man. <laughs> 34 years later? <laughs> I'm not that old, but yeah, close. Okay, so I watched that. I watched the Firefest documentaries. Oh, I watched Roma. 
Have you guys seen oh. it yet? I heard it was kind of a snooze. You know what, guys? It is one but of But I need to see it. It's one of the best movies I have ever seen. Really? Ever. Oh. Truly. It's a movie that stuck with me for like five days. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was not bored for a second of it. The characters are incredible. The filming is beautiful. The story is really, really beautiful. I think it is one of the best films that has ever been made. So, yeah, you guys need to watch it. Meg, you said that somebody told you not to watch it because you just had a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that maybe don't watch it if you're like really pregnant. But if you already have the baby and everything, because there is a pretty rough birth scene in it. And so oh, we all love those. Yeah. If you're like pregnant, and you don't want to watch a really rough birth scene, then maybe skip this one for now. But Stan's healthy. He's good. So you can you can go ahead and watch it. Yeah. My parents actually really liked Roma. Really? So there's that. It's it, seriously of the movies that were actually nominated for Best Picture. It's definitely the best one I've seen. I mean, that list is weird. You got to Kate, what the hell happened to Mr. Rogers? Yeah, that was the biggest snub of all time. I am so mad about that. I was like, this is one of the greatest documentaries that ever. has ever been made, and it didn't even make the list. Ugh. Bad look. And eighth grade. Yeah, eighth but tough grade. look. Tough look. Completely. Tough no. look for my guy. And yeah, <laughs> and eighth grade got snubbed, and that was ridiculous. You got to be yeah. kidding me. A Star is Born got nominated for Best Picture, and eighth grade didn't get a single nomination for anything. It's hard to I take mean, the Oscars seriously anymore. Right? Yeah. So I agree. Anyway, any other any other snubs answer. that you guys were upset about? Tully um, got snubbed. Uh, Tully got snubbed. Uh, Bill, if Bill Street could talk, wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. Oh, kind of crazy. That's yeah. cool. that's kind of weird. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen that yet. Um, the one we watched, Beautiful Boy. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Nothing. Oh wait, did it not get any nominations at all? Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. Oh, so not we even. watched that for nothing? I know. Okay. And same with First Man. Oh my gosh, that's right. You know what? I kind of get the first man snub. Yeah. yeah. That one I'm I not mean, too broken up about. Green Book, though, and Bohemian Rhapsody. I haven't seen either of them, so I, know, I don't know. I can't judge. I'm happy Black Klansman got nominated, though. Uh-huh, that yeah. was a good one. Yep. Well, um, we'll, do, we'll, we'll do a show about it. Yeah. Oh, and Meg, you went and saw Mary Poppins. I did. What did you think? I loved it. Yes. Every second of it was pure, utter bliss. Yes. I will say it probably could have been 30 minutes shorter. I think um, it could have been 30 minutes longer. <laughs> I had had a large beverage, so I was just getting uncomfy by the end. Hmm. Um, but it was really, really fun. Okay. Well, glad you enjoyed it. Okay. Should we talk Miss Maisel? Let's do it. Okay. So it is Mrs. Maisel. It's oh. called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I wanted to bring this up because... I've been calling it The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and then somebody tried to correct me recently, and they're like, it's Miss Maisel, what year do you live in? And I was like, well, the show takes place in the 50s, I guess I just assumed, and then I looked it up, and it is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is kind of the point of the show, is that she's supposed to be this comedian whose entire comedian career is based on the fact that she was married. Yeah. I just wanted to put that out there, because people people keep getting mad at me, and that's what it's called. Okay, we're very proud of you. Okay, Nick, did you finish season two? Okay, I'm going to bring an unpopular opinion to the podcast today. Okay. I could not get through season one of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. All right. Um, and I wanted, I'm so excited. I, I want to be adults about this. I want to I talk about this rationally. Mm-hmm. Um, why you, I, I'm kind why of afraid of the. Lemon? I'm kind of afraid of the repercussions that are going to come right now. So, so you hate. 
You hate women and Jewish people. No, no, no. That's not it. It really isn't about that. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a couple of points. All right. My opinions. Uh-huh. That are wrong. Which are my own. Uh-huh. You can take what you want with them. A little bit too in your face for me. As far as the 50s setting, I kind of felt like they were just playing dress up the whole time. I wasn't buying into the set design. I wasn't buying into the clothing. Like, it just didn't seem, like, very authentic to me. Okay. So the whole time I I was watching, I was trying to convince myself, like, oh, this is the 50s. Midge's accent? Didn't love it. She really went for it, and it was just a little bit too much for me. Um, too much New York? Yeah, too much New York. Um, and I, I could tell that she was just, like, really reaching. And Alex Borstein's character just drove me nuts. Why? Uh, she, I, I want to get to the good parts of the show, so you guys should, should take the reins here. But I, I just felt like it was all overacted. I liked the premise, and I liked the character, but it was just too much for me. Okay. I will give you, there are moments of the show that I do feel are overacted. I like Tony Shalhoub. Well, yeah. I, I thought he was fantastic, but I just I just couldn't fin it. I got like six episodes in. Like, do I need to keep, does it get better? I thought season two was a lot better than season one, but I loved season one. Okay. So maybe you'll hate season two even more. Right. I don't know. Meg, what do you think? <laughs> Is that a disappointed sigh or what was that? I didn't love season two. Um, <gasps> season one, I thought was entertaining, and I was invested in the characters. You should know that I come from a background of having watched every episode of every Amy Sherman Palladino show. Okay. So I know her trick. And in season two, I was like, oh, you're doing this again, where it's like this talky brunette who... <laughs> It has everything in the world going for her and just starts self-destructing at every turn. You thought she was self-destructing in season two? Yeah. How? With her relationship, with her career, with all her choices she makes, and like just kind of a selfish person in every possible way. I just was annoyed, generally annoyed with the things she was doing and with like the, the talkiness of it and with the acting and... The whole, let's go to Paris for a minute and pretend that the mom's going to move to Paris. And then I loved back. it. I loved like, that. What was that? Why did I spend my time on that? What were you doing to me? Because we got to see Paris in 1959. But the whole point was just to show hats, that women in Paris wear better hats. No, I don't think that was the whole point. But, okay, Meg, did you love the Catskills episodes at least? No. Oh, oh my so gosh. I can't with you people. (laughs) Meg, you texted me like multiple times while you were watching season two about where are her children. Yes. (laughs) So I knew it wasn't going super well for you, but it is kind of true. It really bothers me in shows where the realities of parenthood or whatever responsibility they have just are not shown. And throughout the series, she's like constantly out like nightlife and this and that and doing this thing. And there's almost never any recognition that she has two children that are somehow supposed to be belong to her. Yeah, being taken care of. Face level nurtured, like just fed and sheltered. Where are they? (laughs) I I just, the writing, the dialogue between characters was good enough for me that I almost didn't care what was happening in the plot. I liked the plot just fine, but the writing itself was just so fun to listen to. And so do you guys disagree you didn't even like that part? I just have been there before. Mm. 
I think, is my issue. And the Gilmore Girls dialogue is more fun because it's a lot of topical stuff. Okay. Where with Mrs. Maisel, it's just all about her all the time. And I don't even think her comedy is really funny. So I wasn't invested in that. which is a lot of what they're talking about. And I agree. I think that Alex can't say her last name, but I think that character is just grating. Why? Um, Why do you think she's grating? Because they wrote her to be grating. She's just abrasive and not even good at her job. It's just, (laughs) there's nobody with whom I sympathize on the show. And I would like to sympathize with her children, but they're never there. Meg has a mother problem with the show. I mean, I hate to, like, shame other women, but at least tell me that they're with the nanny or something. Like, I just... (laughs) She's at a sister's house. (laughs) All right. So, will you guys guys watch season three? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Nick, you're not even... I... You're not... No, it's going to take a lot for me to get... Yeah. But, you know, one thing that I've realized with Hivemind is that we are all different... I feel like I come to this podcast and you two are like, oh, this recent film that was released only in one theater in Alaska. We went to it and it was directed by Martin Daudo, who wrote the film as well in the fashion of blah, 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 blah. And then you guys watching Fuller House? Roseanne's back. (laughs) Did you guys watch Roseanne? (laughs) So anyway, that's pretty much Hive Mind summed up. Pretty much. Well, let me say, I understand the appeal. It is entertaining. I will probably watch season three if there's a season three. I just, I think I'm bothered by the awards that it's been winning when there are people doing new and exciting things. And this is absolutely something I've seen before. What TV shows do you think are getting snubbed? The Good Place. Okay. Anything else? Like Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Schitt's yeah. Creek has gotten Sup- snubbed. Yeah. Super original. Mm-hmm. Tons of fun. All right, so apparently we give it a lukewarm thumbs up. I was not expecting that. Well, tell us why you love it, Eli. Like I said, the dialogue, I think, is really, really witty. It's fun to listen to. I love that they lean into 1959 New York. I think the costumes are great. I think it's fun to see the atmosphere of what they think 1959 New York looked like. I loved the Paris sequence as well, so whatever. I like the characters. I think the comedy is pretty funny. I don't know. I I don't have complaints about it, except I agree with Nick that it is occasionally overacted. And there was one scene in the first or second episode of season two where I was like, oh, crap, the show's about to tank because it was way over the top. But they recovered from that. And so I don't know. It's not a perfect show, but I think it's near the best show that's currently being produced. Mm. Yep. Hot take. Agree to disagree. Hot hot take. I stand by it. Okay. What are we talking about next week? I think next week we should really dive into these Oscar noms. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm really mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> With that. All right. I got some things to say about Mr. Rogers next week. Okay. We'll look forward to that. Until then, leave us a good rating and review. Sure. Please. I'd be happy to do that. You can find us on iTunes and your other podcasting platforms. Tell your friends. Hey, sounds good. We'll see you next week. All right. <laughs>